Welcome again to South Sub Church. We are in the middle of a series stuck in the suburbs. Uh, we're spending some time looking at the mission field to which God has placed this congregation. Uh, the neighborhoods around us, the people here on the south side of metropolitan Denver. We're excited that you're here with us today and pray that this message will be just as applicable wherever you are whether it be small town, rural community, big city, uh, or the suburbs that you might live in as well. Uh, today in, in our second uh, message, we're looking at uh, Exodus chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles or your tablet or however you read God's Word, if you could look that up and we'll read together. Um, the Hebrew people are looking for the promised land. And uh, many of us who have moved wherever we have moved, if we have left our place of birth and origin, we have been looking for something, something better, a promised land of our own. And so we're going to be looking at that today and, and uh, some of the lessons God can teach us through His Word. So if you found Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa or Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Well, it was the summer of my senior year of high school, and my father suggested that I get a job with an electrical contractor that he was good friends with. The summer before, I had worked with another construction company that did HVAC installations, and well, frankly, I hated that. It was hot, and you have to think about it. I mean, the guy who is installing the air conditioner never really gets to benefit from air conditioning. It was dirty, crawling under houses and through attics. And so when my father talked to his friend and suggested that I go to work with this electrical contracting company, it really sounded appealing. Maybe I could get a job where I'd be working after the air conditioning men and women had installed the air conditioning. What I didn't know was that the contractor had just won a contract to install new traffic lights along a major thoroughfare through a mid-sized city that had a population of about 32,000 people. Each intersection along that major thoroughfare would have a traffic light, and each traffic light would have control boxes that were about three feet by three feet by three feet 
installed both on the north-south and the east-west direction. So two boxes per intersection. Two holes that would need to have uh, the sidewalk uh, and some of the street jackhammered. Um, a hole then would have to be dug four feet by four feet by three and a half feet deep. Now, I don't know if you know this, but a backhoe can only dig about one scoop of dirt in a hole that size, and the rest, you guessed it, has to be hand dug. Guess whose job it was to do that? Hour after hour, day after day through the entire summer, I dug hole after hole along that major thoroughfare in that mid-sized city. Well, on one particular hot and humid day, I, I noticed as I was digging, I wasn't sweating anymore. And I actually started to feel kind of cool. I found out later that the proper adjective was clammy. <laughs> the next thing I remember as I was digging, I was suddenly in the hole, crumbled down in a pile, looking up at three other guys who were working. I couldn't focus, I couldn't talk, I couldn't even think beyond the experience. And all I really remember was, man, it's so much cooler down here in this hole than it is up digging it. Uh, who knows what happened? Exhaustion, heat stroke, laziness, some might have said. And that was back in the day when uh, they didn't call an ambulance. They just helped you out, sat you over in the shade, and gave you some water to drink until you were ready to go back to work. And you better be ready to go back to work in 10 or 15 minutes. When I got home, I told my father what happened, and he said, Good. I'm glad that happened. I hope you'll remember this, he said. And when you're at college and the guys want to go out and party, you'll decide that it's better to stay in your room and study. <laughs> I said, You asked your friend to give me the hardest job in the company? He said to me, I told him to work you like a borrowed mule. And when you were exhausted to keep pushing you. So you mean all of this that happened to me was your fault, Dad? Not at all, he answered. You should have paced yourself, drank more water. I told you to take a salt tablet every day. Well, I thought installing air conditioning units was hard. But actually, all of it's hard. <laughs> you know, being thirsty is a powerful driver. Even more so than being hungry. Do you know the longest, per, uh, the longest time any person has ever gone without food was back in 1965? Uh, a fellow named Angus Barbaria of Tayport, Scotland. 27-year-old man who weighed 456 pounds. His diet plan was to stop eating, and he went 382 days without any food. Now, I'm pretty sure that any of the physicians in our congregation or listening to us today would not recommend this as a good diet plan. The longest the average person can go without fluids, however, is about three days. The first point that I want to talk with you today is, what's the point of a promised land? So when we pick up here with the Israelites in Exodus 17, they as a people, they've been living in Egypt for about 200 years. Now, the process upon which they became slaves was gradual. And depending on how you want to count when they actually became slaves, that number is somewhere between 86 and 116 years that they served in servitude to the Egyptians. 
when God chose Moses as his instrument to lead the Israelites out of the, quote, land of bondage to the, quote, promised land, I'm pretty sure that although there may have been many differences as to what folks might have thought the promised land would hold, that every single one of them were just glad that they weren't in Egypt anymore. Well, at least on that first day of liberation. You know, I think it's a universal idiom. I'm not sure what I want, but I know I don't want this. Me, growing up in a small town of about 2,000 people where my father and my mother had to literally scrimp and save for everything, I remember my dad often saying to me, Son, I don't care where you go, just get out of here. Well, God led His people, led the Hebrews, the Israelites, out of slavery, and He was leading them to what the Bible calls the Promised Land, which we now know is a place that is called Canaan, or what we know today as Israel. Now that journey, if they had just taken it you know, at face value, gone straight from Egypt to Canaan, would have taken about two weeks to walk. But it took the Hebrews 40 years to get there. Now, now there's a reason for this, and, and I'll get to that a little bit in my next point. Um, but uh, you really have to spend some time in Scripture to see, well, frankly, all of the reasons that happen. But the first thing that I want to really consider with you today, and one of the primary things I want to talk with you about today, is why. Why a promised land? Now, if you ask most people what's going on here, they'll tell you something like, well, God chose a particular people, the Jews, sort of. They might say, and this is getting closer, I think, to the truth, God chose a man named Abram. Now, now why did he choose Abram? Well, (laughs) that'll start a big conversation as well. Folks will come at you with reasons of why he chose Abram. None of the reasons, by the way, are in the Bible. How do I know that? Well, because the Bible doesn't give any reasons for why God chose Abram. We might say, well, Abram was an honest man, an upright man, but the Bible never says any of that. The Bible does call Noah blameless. The Bible talks about how God brags on Job, but Abram was chosen, well, because God wanted to choose Abram. It's called grace. It is for no reason at all. Nothing that Abram did Just like our own justification, nothing we do contributes to God having chosen us, called us, justified us, solely because of God's grace. Well, from Abram, God called forth a people, the Hebrews, as they're called sometimes, or the Israelites. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now now notice, there isn't a promise of a land, just a command to go to it. Look at verse 2 of chapter 12 of Genesis. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, 
And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's look at the promise. Number one, a great nation. Number two, be blessed so that this nation can be a blessing. Number three, peace with others that will bless or curse others. And number four, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Four promises in the initial blessing. And three of them are vehicles through which others that haven't necessarily been chosen will be blessed. And that fourth one, now that fourth one's the kicker. As we Christians understand this as the messianic promise, that is, is the promise of the coming of a Messiah. Because Jesus, the Messiah, is the one through whom all of creation is blessed. And here, Abram, which by the way means father, receives his new name, Abraham, which means father of many nations. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Galatians is a, especially chapter 3 of Galatians, wonderful text to study to understand how Abram is connected to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7 of Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that goes back to the whole nations will be blessed, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, through faith in Christ, we who are not Hebrews, that is, we who are not biological descendants of abram become children of abraham god's people god's promise continues through us his church wait a minute pastor right i thought this was about the land well land does come in eventually in verse 7 of uh, Exodus, I'm sorry, of Genesis chapter uh, 12. And look, look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 12. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. You see, the land is parenthetical. It's, it's a place. A place where the promise takes place. A place with a blessing. Flowing with milk and honey? Well, to be sure. But a place where the real promise, the original promise, is to be carried out. So what am I saying here? Well, you know what? Folks are always looking for the promised land, aren't they? Because they think that the land is the blessing. We think that the house is the blessing. We think the car 
is the blessing. We think the shopping center, minutes from where we live, is the blessing. We think that the major sports team of our metropolitan area in which we live around is the blessing. We think that good schools are the blessing. We think that higher salaries that let us take more vacations is the blessing. Hey, if they happen, great. But they are not the blessing. What is the blessing? The blessing is the opportunity, the privilege, the profound advantage, the prerogative, the birthright to be a blessing to others. You know, I, I believe that God has raised up nations for purpose. The United States, before us, the British Empire. Before them, the Holy Roman Empire, governed mainly by Germans and the French. The Byzantines, before them, the Roman Empire during the time of Christ. The Greeks, before them, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, the Nubian Empire, the Chinese dynasty, Every empire that has ever existed has been allowed to rise. Why? Because God was blessing His creation through them. And what happens when they no longer are a blessing? Well, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, Paul gives us some insight. God turns them over, God turns us over to our debased and depraved minds and they all every single one of them crumbled replaced by another well I, I believe that God raises up churches too including churches that I have been privileged to serve that were and are a blessing to their communities my last church, First Ashland, when I was in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., I served NC4, that's what the community called it, North Chevy Chase Christian Church, Vincent Memorial, <laughs> sounded more like a hospital than a church, First Millersburg, Memorial Lynchburg, I always thought that sounded like a cemetery, frankly, amazing church though. And then, of course, my home church that I grew up in, that the whole town simply called the Red Door Church, mainly because our church had some of the biggest and, well, frankly, reddest doors of all of the churches in my little hometown. Every single one of these churches in a different context, in a different land. Small towns, rural communities, mid-sized cities, demographers call them second-class cities, and the suburbs <laughs> they're places that god's people live you and because you are descendants of abraham through faith in jesus christ the promise continues through you remember the promise to bless others the vehicle through which god will bless all families through you but not just because of you or me but because of our faith in christ for the gospel is about christ his work his merits that become our own through faith and faith alone so where are you in a place that's where you are 
you're in a place. Probably many of you are in a suburb, only because the majority of America lives in suburbs. But you might be listening or watching from a small town, a rural community, a major metropolitan city. But you know what? The place isn't as important as who is in the place. You, and by extension, others, and for the purpose of, so that God can do what God does. Calling people into relationship with Himself through Christ Jesus. Justifying them through the work of Christ on the cross. That they will know truth. That they'll know God's love. And that they'll have eternal life. But there's a warning. My second point. Don't forget. God is with you. Here in Exodus chapter 17... This is really the second, well, really, really the third time the people have complained about food and drink specifically. Now, depending on how you count it, it's somewhere between 10 and 14 times, official times, that the Hebrews complain. And four of those moments of complaint and grumbling are incidences around food and water. I, okay, I mean, they're in the desert. I mean, it's hot, it's dry. There's no milk and honey yet. That's hundreds of miles and years in the future. And yet at the same time, here's what's so amazing about them and helps us see into our own hearts. They preferred the whips of slavery where they had food and drink to what seemed to them to be the starkness of freedom where they were forced to trust in God. You know, we all complain sometimes. I, I get that. But for some, there's just no off button on the complaining, is there? You want to know what happens when folks complain too much? Well, the Israelites, the Hebrews, continued to gripe and complain. They complained that God had given them bread, and they wanted meat. They complained about not having water that tasted good, or having water at all. They kept dwelling in the past about how great it had been in the old days. In the bondage of Egypt? Wishing that they were still in slavery in Egypt. They actually said that, where at least they would have meat to eat. They complained about the leadership that God had put into position. And they complained that they weren't strong enough to enter the land that God had promised them as if their success was dependent on them and not God. And by the time we get from Exodus 17 to the next book in the Bible, Numbers chapter 14, God says, all right, okay, have it your way. You see, when you grumble against Moses, when you only see what you don't have, in Numbers 14, verse 27, God says, you might want to buckle up here, brothers and sisters. God says, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. 
your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And all your number, listed in the census, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and, shall, and your children shall suffer for your faithlessness. Until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Uh. <laughs> you know, I hated that moment when I told my dad, Dad, you're the one that caused my pain and weariness digging those holes in that heat. I could see it in his eyes. Son, you're working with men now. You're preparing for the safety of millions who will drive down that main thoroughfare through that mid-sized city every year. Son, you're making union wages your first few weeks out of high school. Son, you're taking a spot on a road gang as a single kid that could have been given to another man or woman trying to provide for their family. All because I had a friend, and I used my friendship to get you a job, to teach you some skills, and to show you what honest hard work is all about. And all you can do is complain. Complaining shows a resistance to change. Complaining shows weakness in our patience. Complaining shows a lack of trust in God's planning and God's timing. We've got to stop complaining about everything in our life. Too often we dwell on the past and how things used to be. When a change is not the change we want or is scary to us, we complain about that too. And when we complain, we can lose everything in a blink of an eye. I have nothing, we might say. And so God says, if that's what you say you have, then that's what I will give you. It was because those particular Israelites complained that they lost the opportunity to be a part of the blessing God was going to do through them. Because they couldn't get to the land, the place where God was going to do the work, they lost the opportunity to be a generation through which God would bless others. God said that their generation would die in the desert and they would not live to see the promised land. But instead, their children would. The Apostle Paul even references this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, when he says how grumbling brings a visit from the destroyer. Our third and final point. God's will is never thwarted. You see, the question is not whether God will bless these neighborhoods around us. 
The question isn't whether God is going to bless these suburbs around us. Folks have said to me, the question, folks have said that to me, I, I just don't know how, how that's going to happen. It's reminiscent too much of what the Israelites said. I think the better question is this, will God use us to be the blessing? Will He bless through us? Now here's the good news. God is in the business of redeeming, regardless of our cooperation, personally or corporately. God is going to do God's work here. So in getting ready for this, I've got a couple of action items for you this week that I pray that you'll pray about, think about, and do. Pick one person, one family, and in your prayers ask God, God, how do you want me to be a blessing to them this week? How do you want to bless them through me this week? It might be a visit to an older person in your neighborhood. A thank you card that you might send to someone who did something that no one seemed to pay attention to. A financial gift. Drop dinner off to somebody in your neighborhood or, or at your work or, or, or in your community club that you're a part of for no reason at all. Make brownies and take it to a family on your street where the mom's about to pull her hair out dealing with her kids. Send flowers to a widow. Invite a widower to join your family and go out to dinner together. Buy a new bike for a refugee family. Be intentional. Make it uncomfortable. Sacrificial. Reach beyond your racial lines. Reach beyond your socioeconomic lines. If you're a Democrat, I would encourage you to consider blessing the family that's still flying a Trump flag out in front of their house. If you're a Republican, bless the family that had Biden signs in their front yards. For goodness sake, let the blessing of God flow through you. Because that is the promise. Not the land, not the house, not the suburb, not the city. It's the blessing of God that's the promise. So, brothers and sisters, be a blessing this week. Right here in the suburbs. Amen.